You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is Garrett Ashley Mullet. Coming to you from Greeley, Colorado, it is July 19th, 2021, episode 104 of season three, episode 169 of the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. I am recording, and I will tell you this, just to give a little bit of context, at eight minutes past 10.30 p.m., I usually record this podcast about 6 a.m., 5.30 to 6 a.m. is usually when I start. I'm starting at 10.30 p.m. because I had training today for work and I needed to get to work early. So having finished handling the business of the day to the best of my abilities, I cannot sleep. I cannot rest without having recorded a podcast on a set of articles that were sent to me by my neighbor, two houses down, J.P. Chavez. These two I will not, I will not be able to treat comprehensively and sufficiently tonight because of the lateness of the hour and because I've just read them through just having finished the second of the two a few minutes ago. But I cannot sleep. I am not able to sleep. After a full day of work and coming home and talking with my seven children, talking with my wife, my wife going to bed early because she wasn't feeling so well, talking with my cousin and a co-worker, having handled the business of the day, I cannot sleep until I have addressed these in some form or fashion and encouraged all of you also to check this out. Begin your wheels are turning. Read these articles if you have time. I think it would be very much worth your time to read these if you care about the soul of the church in America and where things are headed with regards to critical race theory, with regards to social justice, with regards to progressive liberal theology infiltrating even conservative Christian circles. The Southern Baptist Convention is being infiltrated, increasingly taken over. If you cannot say that it has been entirely taken over, which I think there's an argument to be made that it has been, it is being increasingly taken over by woke ideology. And the church in America in general is embracing woke leftist ideology as a matter of necessity, or so the leaders in these churches think. They think that it's necessary that they embrace woke ideology in order to remain relevant, in order to have any opportunity whatsoever to preach the gospel, to do ministry, to make disciples, to teach the Bible, to have community, to deal with any social issues whatsoever, to be engaged in the public discourse, to have a social media presence, to have any standing whatsoever. They think they have to embrace woke ideology. And anyone who says something to the contrary, who argues a different perspective, who expresses alarm and concern 
in a meaningful way is shouted down and accused of being a racist, accused of being a white supremacist. Lo and behold, these two articles highlight this race to the bottom, which evangelical Christians are engaging in and have been increasingly engaging in in recent years. The first piece published at the website for the Gospel Coalition, thegospelcoalition.org, is by Pastor Kevin DeYoung, published April 22nd, 2021. I just recently became aware today of his review of a book called Reparations, A Christian Call for Repentance and Renewal by Duke Kwan, a PCA pastor in Washington, D.C., and Greg Thompson, a former PCA pastor previously serving a church in Charlottesville, Virginia. This book, Reparations, is all about this supposed Christian imperative to support, to get behind, to demand even, reparations be paid to African Americans by white Americans. I can't do justice, as I said before, to all of what Kevin DeYoung is criticizing in this book. I can't do justice in this episode to all of the response to Kevin DeYoung's critique of this book. I'm going to include links in the podcast description to each of these two articles, the one by Kevin DeYoung and the response from the authors of this book, Duke Kwan and Greg Thompson, neither of whom, by the way, are people of color, neither of whom are black African-Americans, both of whom are fair-skinned, shall we say. Duke Kwan, if you can guess from the name, is an Asian-American, and Greg Thompson is very obviously himself a white American. And it just so happens, as most of the footage of leftist protests, even leftist riots across America in recent history have shown that these very strong voices in favor of supposed racial justice against supposed white supremacy are not themselves black. They are not themselves African Americans. They are themselves fair-skinned. The irony of ironies to me is that this whole argument for reparations is predicated on critical race theory, which points to inequity between black Americans and white Americans as proof that we have systemic racism, that racism is baked into the equation of all of our institutions. It's baked into the equation of our form of government, our communities, our academic institutions, our businesses, our corporations, our economic system, our media, our family structure, our churches. Literally every institution in America is racist, is white supremacy, if it is not woke. Those are your options. There's no plan B. We're going to beg the question by assuming the premise is correct as we ask the question, what are you going to do about systemic racism? Well, what do you mean systemic racism? It's not my responsibility to educate you 
you're further burdening me now as a person of color, or in the case of the authors of this book, someone who is an ally to people of color, you're further burdening me. I'm already burdened enough without having to take time to explain to you in depth how ignorant you are. You need to go educate yourself. Let me give you a reading list of a dozen, two dozen books about how everything is racist. Everything we don't like is racist. Everything we don't like is white supremacy. Down with the system. Destroy everything. And then, and only then, after everything is rebuilt according to the will and whim of anybody except white people and except the woke white people, then and only then will we have real justice, real fairness, real equity. And in fact, until we have equity, until the median income, the average living situation, the typical community looks identical, whether we're talking about a black American, a white American, et cetera, et cetera, only when that is the case will we know that we have true justice. When we know that we have injustice, economic injustice, because there's not equity, because the outcomes are not the same. Therefore, slavery is still having its full effect. What else could it be? It couldn't be anything else. You have to accept our premise or else you are supporting and endorsing white supremacy. So Kevin DeYoung writes this criticism, which I will, I will deal with more substantively in a future podcast episode when it is not almost 11 p.m. and when I don't have more training tomorrow morning, first thing. But Kevin DeYoung addresses some very big problems in this book, like, for instance, the premise. But he does so in this gracious way, which I cannot help characterizing as pulling punches. I cannot help but feel as though Kevin DeYoung is trying too hard to be what he thinks of as gracious and winsome towards the authors of this book. They, in turn, reply by very respectfully saying that he, they are sure, in no way, shape, or form supports white supremacy, and yet he is supporting white supremacy. Figure that one out for me. Everything that they dismiss, and they do, they dismiss his entire critique of their book out of hand by saying it's predicated on methodology, which is inherently white supremacist. But he in no way is a white supremacist, nor does he support white supremacy. In fact, he explicitly says he's opposed to white supremacy and that it is evil and wrong and unjust and antithetical to the gospel, rightly so. And yet, and yet, he employs this methodology. It reminds me a lot of Christina Cleveland bemoaning the idea that we would look at images on the TV screen of young black men throwing Molotov cocktails into police cars, running out of burning retail stores carrying expensive TVs, throwing trash on the ground, assaulting violently anybody who gets in their way or upsets them. Christina Cleveland objects to us saying 
that's a riot. Instead of recognizing that these young black men don't have the privilege of a white person to be raised in an intact home and taught civil discourse. How dare you expect them to engage in civil discourse? They don't feel like they're being heard. So what else are they supposed to do? They're not accountable for their actions. White America is accountable for their actions. You're accountable for their actions. And if you disagree, that just goes to prove how racist you in fact are. And this is a gospel issue. It's a gospel issue. And you're not even a Christian, are you? You're not even a Christian. In fact, you're an anti-Christian. If you're a white person who says that looting and rioting and assaulting cops and setting fire to American cities in the name of supposed racial justice is wrong and evil, you're the racist. You're the problem. That young black man who just assaulted a cop, set fire to a police car, ran out of Target with an expensive TV that he didn't pay for, assaulted some innocent white woman he saw on the street on his way home. He's not the problem. You're the problem. And Kevin DeYoung is the problem because Kevin DeYoung very respectably, very graciously, very winsomely took to the Gospel Coalition to write a critique, an extended critique of this book, Reparations, a Christian Call for Repentance and Renewal, in which he asks some very important questions like, what about the Civil War? Did the Civil War, did the American Civil War decrease by any measure whatsoever? The reparations, which if we accept your argument to some extent, are owed to black Americans who were slaves, maybe even their children, but their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren, their great-great-grandchildren, or just anybody that moved to this country from Africa who is black, who moved here, but their parents and grandparents and great-grandparents and all of their ancestors all the way back never were slaves to a white master here in America? Is it a given that we should assume that reparations are owed? Or did in any measure the Civil War and the great cost in blood and treasure reduce the amount of reparations that you're now demanding? Wasn't that reparations to some extent at least? How much did that take off the bill? You guys want to talk dollars and cents? I'm quite frankly not interested in being gracious and winsome with these two authors, pastors or no, I see what they're doing. And it reminds me a great deal of the Italian communist Antonio Gramsci, who, by the way, I would address one of the arguments that they make, one of the complaints that they make, one of the logical fallacy swipes they take at Kevin DeYoung's critique of their book when they say that he doesn't cite a single black pastor or theologian in critiquing their book. I was recently reminded of Antonio Gramsci with regards to critical race theory by a black American pastor I respect very, very much, Vodi Bakum. I'll include a link to a video I recently watched on YouTube. It was at about a 30-minute presentation he gave in which he explained 
how it came to be that the Southern Baptist Convention embraced a resolution in favor of critical race theory when the original resolution as written by an officer serving in our United States military was presented opposing critical race theory. How is it that a resolution in opposition to critical race theory went to committee and came out and was voted on in favor of critical race theory? Fodi Bakum tells the story from the inside track in a very clear-cut and a very informative, enlightening way. You should watch the video. Pay no heed to the title of the video. It's a little bit misleading. I wouldn't necessarily call what happened with the SBC a cover-up. I would say it was very dishonest. It was very deceitful. It was very shady how SBC leadership pushed that resolution across the finish line but I wouldn't necessarily call it a cover-up. Watch the video, and you'll hear Vody Bakum explain who Antonio Gramsci is and why you should care. But I'll give you the quick version. Antonio Gramsci, this Italian Marxist from an Italian prison cell where he was put by Italian fascists who felt very threatened by his intellectual pursuits, trying to spread communism in Italy. Antonio Gramsci came up with this idea we know today as cultural Marxism. And this idea of cultural Marxism basically amounts to a tacit recognition that in Western developed countries with a richer intellectual tradition than Russia had, among the common people leading up to the Bolshevik Revolution, you will not be able to accomplish a communist overthrow of the old system through violent revolution. You will have to accomplish the achievement, the fulfillment, the actualization of communism in those countries like America, for instance, through cultural transformation. In other words, Marxists will have to infiltrate the life springs of American culture, for instance. They'll have to infiltrate academic institutions, for instance, which the Frankfurt School did, as a matter of fact. German communists fleeing the takeover by the Nazis in Germany come to America, take up jobs at prestigious American universities, and they promulgate their Marxist ideology to generation after generation after generation of American elites who then go off and they run businesses and they take public office and they take up leadership in congregations and in denominations. Read J. Gresham Machen, professor at Princeton Theological Seminary, writing in 1923, Christianity and Liberalism, for a little bit more on the concern with theological liberalism and how it is a false gospel. It had nothing, I repeat, nothing whatsoever to do with white supremacy it had everything to do with communism 
versus capitalism. Marxism versus Western civilization and the free market and individual liberty. The authors of reparations are trying to Christianize, once again, as many before them have tried, this collectivization of guilt. But I have one little problem with the thrust of their argument, which whatever they want to say is a mischaracterization. It's not a mischaracterization. They want black Americans, regardless of whether they or any of their ancestors were held in bondage by white Americans, regardless of whether they have even a tenuous claim to being descended from slaves. They want black Americans to be paid a financial payment to receive institutional power, to be the recipients of deference in every sphere, in academia, in the business world, in media, in politics, and yes, the church, just by virtue of the color of their skin. There's another term here, which again, Vodi Bakum helped me to become aware of in his book, Fault Lines, which recently came out, and you should check that out because this is what it's all about, folks. It's a great book. It's a great read. I praise God that we have such a man as Vodi Bakum, a personal hero of mine, to articulate these things at this time, at this point in our history, not just American history, moreover, church history, because this is a very grave threat. If we embrace Marxism and communism and we say hundreds, if not thousands of years of Christian teaching have been misapprehended, orthodoxy as we know it needs to be flipped on its head in many critical respects because here's a Marxist idea that unlocks this new profound, better, pure understanding. We're even going to describe ourselves as woke. We're going to say that we are woke when we come to this newer, better understanding. But no, 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 no. Don't accuse us of trying to come up with a new religion. No, no, no. We're the pure ones. You're the false Christians. Don't ask us for grace. No, 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 no. We are demanding a payment. The author's of this book and their response to Kevin DeYoung, which I will address in more depth in a future podcast episode when it's not almost 11 p.m. The authors of this book conveniently neglect to mention where these ideas they're espousing come from. But they do tell us that nothing will be sufficient until we have even abandoned the methodology by which Kevin DeYoung is critiquing their book because his methodology is inherently, you guessed it, white supremacist. It's inherently racist. In the absence of a good argument, just call whatever you don't like racist. And then you don't have to deal with the thorny questions like how much money is owed? Who should be paying it? Who should be receiving the payment? Should it have to be proved that the person making the payment is descended from somebody who actually owns slaves? 
Does it matter how many of their ancestors actually owned slaves? Well, again, the convenient sidestep is that equity or the lack thereof is the basis. So just by fact that you are a white person and white people have a higher median income than black people do in this country, we can prove that there is institutional systemic racism. A question for Duke Kwan, one of the two authors of this book. What about the inequity between Asian Americans and black Americans? It's even greater than that of white Americans. How many Asian Americans have owned African slaves in this country's history? I mean, if the equity or inequity is wider than between white Americans and black Americans, then presumably Asian Americans owned more slaves than white Americans, right? No? Huh. I'm calling this myth busted. What about the economic inequality the inequity between Asian Americans and white Americans. Should Asian Americans be paying reparations to white Americans? Is that how this works? I mean, there must be something systemically racist in our system that Asian Americans have just snuck in there. We don't even realize how Asian supremacist we all are because, look, they have a higher rate of staying together in their marriages, higher average income, better average retirement, typically live in nicer homes, in nicer neighborhoods. That proves reparations are due, as the argument goes, right? No? I'm sorry. I'm not being very compassionate. I'm not being very gracious because that's what's needed right now. And if Kevin DeYoung talks about grace, they can only think of that in terms of salvation. Kevin DeYoung is changing the subject. Well, no, 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 no. They're conflating his question about grace with a question about salvation. He's not talking about salvation. He's talking about what grace should be extended to white Americans by black Americans instead of the bitterness the deep, abiding, eternal contempt which bleeds through unmistakably in far too many corners of this country at every opportunity. And which, if you want to talk about pastors being complicit with injustice, if you want to criticize Kevin DeYoung, who I think was entirely too softball in his critique of reparations, does that also mean that Greg Thompson and Duke Kwan, as pastors who are lending credibility and righteous cover, a veneer of piety to racial strife in this country, do they bear any responsibility if a group of young black men surround and beat to death some white person, some white man, white woman, white child, if they brutally murder somebody because they're a white person in the wrong part of town, is that white America's fault too? Is that the fault of white churches, so-called? Is that Kevin DeYoung's fault too for employing a supposedly white supremacist 
methodology in his critique of your book? Or is it possible maybe at a certain point you have to give equal treatment to your own contribution to a godless ideology? You want to pick apart quote-unquote white America, quote-unquote white churches for being complicit in violence, political violence, hatred, animosity, oppression, terrorism, all the while you're giving cover to those very same things and smugly, self-righteously, indignantly claiming that you're the martyr, you're the true believer, you're the one who's following in the footsteps of Martin Luther King Jr., whose sandals you're not even worthy to remove from his feet, apparently. I think highly, very highly, of Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech. But in it, he has a dream that at some future generation, his children and the children of white Americans will no longer be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. That is the antithetical dream of these people calling for reparations, for social justice, espousing critical race theory, insisting that you either get to be a racist or an anti-racist. There is no other option. And we get to define what an anti-racist is and what they do, what they say. If you say anything contrary, if you do anything contrary, if you object, if you complain, if you try to hold us accountable, then you, by golly, are a racist. See, we have to soft pedal and treat with kid gloves false teaching like this or else we're called racists. And then some people who are very weak-minded and easily led astray and easily deceived start conflating their reputation and their own security and their own safety with their testimony. And in so doing, they start compromising the gospel, the real, actual gospel of Jesus Christ our Lord. There's an example that's brought up in the response by the authors of Reparations, Duke Kwan and Greg Thompson, where they reference the children of Israel looting and plundering Egypt, and there being a tacit approval of this in the text by Moses. 430 years of hard bondage, the children of Israel now are being set free. God sends Moses and Aaron to say to Pharaoh, let my people go. Let my people go. Let my people go. Let my people go. Therefore, we should be paying reparations to black Americans. We white Americans should be paying reparations to black Americans. Not so fast. A couple of points. In that example from the Old Testament, the slavery is real time when Moses and Aaron come to tell Pharaoh to let God's people go. Point number one. The slavery is not a feature of 150 years ago. It's happening right then. There are men, women, and children who are living in slavery by fact of their birth right then. Point number two, 
not only is it real time and not 150 years past that the children of Israel have lived as slaves, they are living as slaves, but even if it had been 150 years in the past when Moses and Aaron showed up, they wouldn't have had to say, let my people go if the children of Israel living in Egypt were in the same circumstance as black Americans in America. If Moses and Aaron were to show up in America today, out of nowhere, show up, start going around talking with black Americans and saying, Hear, O Israel. If they started saying that God had sent them on a mission like the Blues Brothers and that all of the black Americans in this country were going to be led out into a promised land flowing with milk and honey that the Lord their God had promised to their ancestors, nobody but nobody would try to stop them. There is no Pharaoh today who would say, you cannot go. There is no Pharaoh today who would say, let them make bricks without straw. It would not happen because that is not the situation that we're in, folks. That's point number two. Point number three. How differently would that story read in Exodus if 150 years prior to Moses and Aaron showing up in Egypt, the Egyptians themselves had fought their bloodiest, costliest, most destructive civil war, war period amongst themselves with one half of the country of Egypt demanding to keep the children of Israel in hard bondage by virtue of their ethnicity, their ethnos, their tribe, them being non-Egyptians, and the other half of the country saying that this God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had commanded that these people be treated with dignity, with respect, equal under the law, fairly, humanely, kindly, And what if, if you can imagine, 150 years prior to Moses and Aaron showing up to lead the children of Israel out of hard bondage, the side that had fought to free the children of Israel from hard bondage had not only fought a very bloody, costly civil war that divided their country in two for several years, they had won it and then spent the next century and a half trying to meticulously, delicately, painstakingly right the wrong. Would it make so much sense in that scenario for us to then read Aaron and Moses saying, pony up, you guys owe us. Come on, come on. No, it would not. And DeYoung asks a question in a much more kind, gentle way than I have any intention of asking it. He asks that question, isn't there any validity to what Abraham Lincoln said when he said that every drop of blood shed by the master's whip had been paid for with the blood shed by the sword? Speaking of the Civil War, brother against brother, 
the deadliest war in our history. For all Duke Kwan and Greg Thompson want to accuse the white church of being complicit, they perhaps could benefit from reading Mark A. Knowles' book, The Civil War as a Theological Crisis. They could perhaps benefit from reading A Holy Baptism of Fire and Blood by James P. Byrd. See, the problem with what they're doing is that they're being very racist. It isn't just that they are castigating people who are not racist now and implying when not outright saying that Christian lay people and leaders who are white are not actually Christians unless they're woke, unless they get on board with reparations, unless they get on board with leftist ideology, unless they get on board with cultural Marxism and critical race theory and systemic racism and leftist politics and wealth redistribution. That's bad enough in the present, but to say that 150 years ago, 200, 300 years ago, men who vocally opposed the institution of slavery and even laid their lives on the line to bring an end to the practice, that those men, those men are complicit. We've had it all wrong up till now. Thank you so much, Duke Kwan and Greg Thompson, for volunteering like Moses and Aaron to lead us into the promised land. We've been so blind up till now, but you, you are more righteous and pious and pure-hearted than all who went before, and only the more because you humble brag as you associate yourselves with Martin Luther King Jr., trying to smear Kevin DeYoung, who again, if I fault him in his critique of your book, I fault him for being too gracious when what is needed is a firmer hand. This is false teaching. This is corrupt. I do not trust that you have the best interests of Christ's church at heart. I do not trust that you're being genuine. I do not trust that this is real. In fact, I think you don't step up to the plate to write this book because you're so altruistic. I think very strongly, I believe very thoroughly, that you write this book reparations because you know that this is a great time to make a bestseller out of that argument that you're making. And I don't just mean book sales. I mean you get a platform for yourself. You are not going to have cities burning at your expense. It's going to be at the expense of the Kevin DeYoungs. And when everything gets overthrown, you'll be remembered as one of the people or two of the people who helped make it possible. You're on the winning side. You're on the right side of history. It reminds me a lot of... Dietrich Bonhoeffer and his objections to the German church as the German church decided to go all in with the Nazis because, after all, they're doing some good things for Germany. The German people were struggling economically, politically, culturally, lots of loathing and self-doubt after the Treaty of Versailles left their country impoverished because of the very harsh, heavy, penalty for having started World War I. So the Nazis take power, and the German church says, let's embrace them. 
Let's embrace this idea of the Fuhrer. Let's embrace Nazi ideology. Because after all, this is the right side of history. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer has the courage to say, no, this is a false gospel. You are removing people from positions in universities, from authority in the church, from ownership of businesses, from any standing in society whatsoever, simply by virtue of them being Jews. And wouldn't you know it, when the Nazis were rising, when they had taken power, when they had rounded up all the Jews and thrown them in concentration camps, Viktor Frankl writes that the worst treatment that Jews received in concentration camps was at the hands of other Jews. The worst treatment that they received was not at the hands of the German guards of those concentration camps. The worst, the worst treatment they received was at the hand of other Jews who were put in charge of making sure that they stayed in line inside the camp. And those Jews who were partnering with the concentration camp guards, the SS, they were absolutely the cruelest. But Bonhoeffer saw what the German church was doing for what it was. It wasn't, first and foremost, political. And it wasn't, first and foremost, about being a conservative or being a progressive. It was about being faithful to the gospel, which this book, Reparations, by Duke Kwan and Greg Thompson is not. This is not faithful to the gospel. This is a gospel issue, and it's not faithful to the gospel to say we've all got to become communists or else we can't be good Christians. They're not saying it in so many words, but that's where they're getting. That's where they're going. That's what they're after. Study up on Antonio Gramsci, cultural Marxism, the Frankfurt School, this is community organizing church edition. Take academia, take the music industry, take the movie industry, take over the TV networks, take over the news broadcasting, take over the book publishing, take over the church. If you can take over the church too, then you never have to campaign again against Republicans. They will not be able to win. You browbeat Christian pastors and accuse them of being white supremacists, but not really white supremacists, but really white supremacists. Maybe even worse than white supremacists. You do that, you silence them, you shut them up, you shut them down, you destroy them, all while pretending to be sheep. You're wolves. In sheep's clothing is what you are. Heaven help you and God have mercy on your souls. This is not you sharing the gospel in a deeper, truer, more faithful way. This is you satanically mixing in Marxism and then demonizing, sometimes subtly, sometimes not so subtly, anybody calls you out for it, even graciously. Kevin DeYoung pulled his punches. I feel like I'm watching a heavyweight boxing match in which one of the boxers is punching with big old balls of cotton candy and the other one is punching with kettlebells. But then 
you can't fully blame Kevin DeYoung. He might get accused of racism and white supremacy. Oh, you know what? He did. He did anyways. He didn't winsomely win these people over. They publish their response to him today. He published his critique April 22nd. They published their response today. They're not placated. Thank you, Kevin DeYoung, for responding so thoughtfully. Now we're going to tear you to pieces, little tiny pieces. In fact, if we can spiritually, emotionally, intellectually blow you to smithereens to where nobody can even recognize that those little bits and pieces of your argument ever belong to you, all the better. But thanks. Thanks for helping us promote our book. We'll accuse you of methodological white supremacy. You see, you don't get middle ground. You cannot play the middle with these people, with the woke. They are spoiled brats throwing tantrums. And they think, because they were raised this way by parents and pastors and traditions and ideologies which emphasized self-esteem unburdened by trivialities like merit, achievement, accomplishment, trophy for participation culture, trophy for showing up culture, now once economic parity between people who do nothing except for get drunk and high, who don't go to work, who don't work hard when they do go to work, and people who work hard. And I'm not talking about black and white. I'm talking about rich versus poor as the Marxists want to think of it. I'm talking about inequity being taken as proof of injustice. If I work three times as hard as a coworker of mine who does the same job, and I get the same bonus, the same raise, the same performance review, the same treatment. If I get talked to and about and managed the exact same way that he does, tell me this, is that justice? Is that fairness? Is that a greater fulfillment of the gospel? Seems to me like I read a whole lot in the wisdom literature in the Old Testament and there's wisdom literature in the New Testament too, it seems like I read a whole lot about not treating good and evil the same, not treating wisdom and folly the same, not treating faithfulness and faithlessness the same, not treating honesty and deceit the same. And yet, if we make it all about race, all the time, very dishonest, deceitful, malicious, covetous, envious people, get their foot in the door, and next thing you know, you're being publicly attacked because you said it's a little more complicated than that. Whoa. Whoa. How dare you? <sighs> more to come. I will come back to this topic. I will deal with each of these two in more depth because I think there's a whole lot we can learn about this issue. I would recommend Fault Lines by Vodi Bakum. 
Go check it out. Read it. Give it a listen if you haven't. It's very, very good. I can't do it justice by explaining it to you, especially not at this hour. I'll put a link to these two articles and also the video I mentioned earlier in the description for this podcast episode. Check them out. If they, for some reason, don't come through on the Anchor FM share, by the way, go to thegarrettashleymulletshow.com. Find this episode, which I will get posted up to my site soon. The links will work there. Subscribe to get email alerts when new episodes come out so you don't ever miss an episode. I also typically write a little bit more on the WordPress shares of these podcast episodes, but I definitely put the links in both places. Sometimes they come through on Anchor. Sometimes they don't come through except on the WordPress site. But I got to leave it there. I need to go to bed before it's tomorrow. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. <laughs>